0: Hi, this is Beth Anderson. I am a family law attorney and an estate planning attorney. I also do probate litigation and elder law, and I am here to talk about when families change form. They do that often, but there's still a family, and you're not just breaking up, you're breaking upward. That's the name of our podcast, and I'm so delighted to have our guest today, Dee, Dee Jones. We're very familiar with teaming up on a variety of topics. We've been doing trainings together on Financial Planning Day for some time, and Dee, Dee is not just a financial planner. She's a certified financial planner. She's not just a certified financial planner. She's also a CPA. So um, welcome, Dee, Dee, and why don't you give out some of your um, contact information and a little about yourself? Beth,
1: you're making me blush. Thank <laughs> you so much. Um, again, Dee, Dee Jones, my company is Innovative Financial. Our website is InnovativeFinancial.com. If you've got questions about what I do, you can go to that website and make an appointment. We welcome any and all inquiries there. Really easy to reach out to us. And you also have YouTube. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yes. COVID introduced us to the concept of YouTube education, and I have a channel there called Money Mastery with Didi. Um, We have weekly finance tips, frequently tax-oriented but not exclusively, as well as we try to do weekly interviews with different providers of things this includes a wonderful interview i had with beth a number of months ago but mortgage brokers um, other investment advisors etc if there's a topic you want to learn about and it's not there let us know we'd love to cover it
0: yeah it was super fun i don't it just flew by when we did that and so i think this is going to be one of the most conversational um, sessions i've had on these podcasts and that's because we're on the brink of some changes possibly to estate and gift tax rules and regulations and laws. They are being proposed. We're right now at the close of 2021 but listen, no matter what happens, you always have to think about the fact that these things can happen and will happen. Tax laws change all the time, and so when you're planning your legacy in your estate, you really have to keep that in mind to be flexible, to look into the law, especially if you're higher net worth, and to stay in touch with your attorney, your CPA, your tax accountant, whoever it is, Um, because ultimately it lies on your shoulders to protect that wealth, and guess what? If you have wealth, you already are well-versed in protecting it, because you wouldn't have it. It would have gone a long time ago. That's the thing I've really learned about our high-end clients, is that it's almost a full-time job to protect that wealth from the people who think they're entitled to it. Right, yeah, it's being smart about
1: your money and surrounding yourself with a solid team of people that can advise you in
0: a way that serves your interests yep and absolutely you've got to get a good feel for them you need to trust them I say sometimes it's like dating that you need to feel comfortable with them because you're going to be working very intimately and ultimately I consider that they should hold themselves out to be a fiduciary at the highest level of care why would they not Right. Why, I just was talking to a client this afternoon, and we were talking about how a lot of attorneys really want their client to get the house in a divorce so that they can put a lien on it, sue the client. And I was talking about why that can be a problem, and she said, "Because you're not fill in the adjective here, and um, because yeah, it's more important to me." to do what's right for my client than put myself in a predicament. And so that's Didi, that's me, and that's who you need to look for on that team. So um, do you wanna start with some of the proposals or where do you wanna start, Well, let's kinda talk about the basic ideas of
1: when we're doing estate planning, what does estate planning mean where are we now, and then
0: we can talk about where the changes are coming in. Does that sound like a good plan for you? That sounds great. So I had mentioned that we'd go over some of the basic documents, and um, really basic, what I'd like to do, Dee, and, and we didn't really plan this, pe- We didn't plan this piece up, but I'm thinking maybe I can talk about the powers of attorney and living will and then go over to you for the will and the trust if you're comfortable.
1: Yep. Okay.
0: So when I do an estate plan, there's definitely four documents that I consider crucial in that plan, and three of them kick in when you're still alive. And those are your two powers of attorney, financial and medical and those are appointments of people that you really trust to make financial decisions when you can't and medical decisions when you can't so think of someone oh my gosh i was in a car accident i'm unconscious who's going to make those critical decisions about my medical care and my finances they tie in together because you're going to need money for that medical care, but they're different skill sets. One Often I'll, I'll hear, well, this relative's a nurse and I want her for the medical, but this person's really good with money and I want them for the financial. I like two documents. That's what the legislature recommended because you maybe don't want your banker to know your end of life choices right. on your medical power of attorney and vice versa. You don't always need to be turning over that information because ours is very detailed. Um, The one my firm does for medical, you don't necessarily need them to look at your financial power of attorney. Banks are strict about powers of attorney. So the ones my office does go well beyond the minimum. So knock on wood, (laughs) we, haven't had them rejected yet, and we're very careful about them.
1: How are you finding they're lasting? Early in my career, we would have situations where a bank would be presented with a power of attorney, and they would say, oh, I need a more, one that's signed more recently, which if you start thinking about what they are and how they work,
0: is a big head scratcher. But I wonder if, if that's a thing any longer. I'm glad you asked that, because my first thing is banks are strict, but be careful, Be mindful of your rights. Don't trust them to look out for you because I'll give an example. I don't really want to ever mention a specific case, but I'll talk about something that comes up. And that is that a bank might say, well, why do you even have a power of attorney? And you might say, well, um, my relative has some memory issues. Well, then they'll say, this one's no good prove their memory issues. And then they'll say, well, they have memory issues and this one's no good and now they can't sign a new one because they aren't competent to execute the document. And so I would say if a bank's rejecting it for timeliness, that might be a time to call an attorney or someone because you might be in to that sort of a catch 22. So I love that question because that's very serious right now. Thank you. Also, you know who else provides these documents? Hospitals. They yeah. provide both of them and a living will, which I want to talk about, and that is where you're making your end-of-life choices, and a lot of times that won't be effective right away. It will kick in maybe seven days, and so in the meantime, I always say a living will and a power of attorney go hand in glove. They go together because The agent for your medical power of attorney can answer questions where it's not clear. They can make sure everyone at the hospital gets their hands on your medical power of attorney. And um, they're the person that uh, puts it into effect before it kicks in or where it's dubious. So I don't want to go on too long. But those are the three documents that work when you're alive and then when you're deceased and people forget this, they don't work anymore. So over to Dee. I'm sure you're waiting to hear more from her, I've been talking too much. But before we move, can you
1: explain quickly the difference between the medical power of attorney and the living will? Because I think that's
0: a point that is really easily confused. Sure, so a living will is a document that you sign that has your end-of-life choices like, do you want a feeding tube? What kind of um, intervention do you want? How long is the feeding tube? If that's the only thing keeping you alive and you are going to die and maybe no brain activity, is it going to be seven days so people can say goodbye or 14? It's just written almost in stone. Okay. And then the agent is appointed by the power of attorney. And so it's essentially a document that appoints a person. Okay. So those are the ones that work together. Yeah. So. Um, Dee Dee's not an attorney but she knows a lot about wills and trusts so I'm right. gonna turn okay. the hard stuff over to oh, Dee Dee for now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: It's only hard stuff if you make it hard, um, I think. So when we talk about estate planning, Beth already talked about um, powers of attorney and living wills. The other two big areas that are important to consider are your will and whether or not you might need a trust. Most of us have a really great idea of what a will is. It's, it's basically gives information to the people who are living after you've left this earth, what to do with the things you've left behind. It's, it's really no more than that. Now it's good to know that wills are governed state by state. So if you have one in Colorado and you move to Florida, there can be problems for you so those of you planning on moving to a new state be ready to redo your estate planning wills are really powerful documents they can do an awful lot of things if you have young children you might want to have a springing or testamentary trust built into the will that's not the kind of trust i'm going to talk about in a minute that those are important but that's not where um, some of the new tax law is going to come in to changing Now, trusts come in two flavors. Um, They can replace wills or they may not replace wills. Let's talk about one most of you have run into at one point in your life, probably, and that's a revocable living trust. If you have any friends that have ever lived in California and had this conversation, every single one of them will say, you need a revocable living trust. And here, I'm here to tell you, if you live in California, that advice is absolutely correct. A lot of other states, it's more nuanced than that and Beth can give you some great advice as to whether or not in Colorado that's going to make sense for you but a revocable living trust can do almost everything that you do in a will in terms of dispersing your property after your death but it can do a lot of other really cool things as well such as serve as a power power of attorney if you choose to have it do so you can um, use revocable living trusts to protect other people's interests. Um, If, you know, I'm in a second marriage, we can use a revocable living trust to protect each of our kids in the event of one of our deaths. They're really flexible and powerful. And another cool thing about a revocable living trust is, A, it's revocable, but it's also amendable. While you're still alive, you can make lots of changes to it. So they're a remarkably flexible tool. So that's sort of the way I view it, as people either get
0: a will or a revocable living trust. So that's A or B. Although when I do a revocable living trust, and I think all attorneys, we do what's called a pour over a will that goes with it. The two go together, and that's going to catch all the things that might not be conveyed into the trust, because that's the piece that people always forget. It's not in the trust unless you put it in the trust, so. So as a financial advisor, that's a big service that we provide for folks. If they go get a revocable
1: living trust, most attorneys, that's not their cup of tea to go deal with all this stuff. So we get the document and we say, okay, here's how it's titled. Here's all the things we know that you own. Let's get everything titled properly so that it's inside that trust so that you get full value for the money you paid for the trust. So the pour over will is when you haven't done full care and feeding of the trust. So care and feeding of a trust is a big fat deal. Just putting it out there. All right. Yep, true. Okay. Yeah. So now we have an entirely different class of trusts, which I would suggest really relate to folks with higher levels of assets who are generally concerned about estate taxation. Now right now we have an estate tax exemption that's very, very high. It's um, being, considered to being cut in half, but right now it's over $11 million per person, 22 million plus for a married couple that can be shared with a married couple. So really, really, really easy to avoid estate tax these days. However, the new tax proposal is suggesting that that be cut in half to something around 6 million and 12 for a married couple. I don't believe that there's any issues around it being shared by a couple that that will still be in place.
0: Yeah, so we're kind of guessing, but I think that it's starting to distill down where we have a pretty good idea what's um, a little more seriously being considered.
1: Right. And
0: yeah. um, it was these these amounts not long ago. I, yeah. it, it was doubled, and then it, it now it's going back to what law, it was before. Exactly. And it's
1: reverting to where it was prior to that. So We don't
0: know for sure, but it's looking that what's way. That's yeah. and,
1: and actually, starting right now, the next couple of minutes, everything I say is what is being proposed and how it might affect you. Um, We're recording this late in October. We expect that if this law gets passed, it will probably be signed somewhere in December. So there's a window of opportunity that if you fall into one of these categories, immediately contact your attorney to um, amend documents that you have or set up documents that you don't already have to take advantage of current law because Mm -hmm. new law will not be as favorable.
0: What I've been hearing is that it could be effective as early as January 1st, 2022.
1: Okay. I've heard so, even earlier than that. It depends on when that gets signed yeah. into law. The minute that the president's pen hits that paper, that's when it takes effect. So everything I've heard,
0: they were proposing that it wouldn't be effective. I'm hoping until oh, 2022, oh, but yeah. even then that's so rough. It is really fast. Yeah. So I I think Didi and I are on top of it all the time and yeah. and it's just Point being, something to think if about. if it affects
1: you, don't delay.
0: Yeah. Get on it. Yeah.
1: that That's really my message. So um, the big piece, now in the proposed tax law, you will have heard they're looking to increase taxes on families that earn more than $400,000 at the individual level or $500,000 for married filing jointly, not news. We get all that. There's a change to the estate tax exemption, which we just talked about. Um, But the big piece that is changing, that is having the estate planning attorneys and the financial planners all up in arms is how they're changing the trusts. Under the proposed plan, the grantor, grantor trusts, if you have one, you know what I'm talking about, grantor trusts will be included in the grantor's estate when they die. And distributions from grantor's trusts will be subject to gift tax and sales between the grantor and the trust will be fully taxable, which basically says grantor trusts don't exist anymore. Yeah, like why bother? Why bother? Now, grantor trusts is an umbrella term for all sorts of trusts. You might have heard of an islet, which is a life insurance trust. These were really popular back when the estate tax exemption was $675,000. If you're old enough to remember that, yeah, that was pretty wild. Everybody was setting up life insurance trusts back then to pay for the tax burden that would happen. Um, but that there won't be an ability to add money to existing grantor trusts without jumping through a number of hoops, which are too detailed for us to go into in today's interview. But we also have intentionally defective grantor trust idiots which are set up so that the income is taxed to the grantor while they're alive. And then they have spousal lifetime access trusts, SLATs, which if a spouse dies, the, the um, remaining spouse has access to that trust. And then grantor retained annuity trust, which is a way of being charitable. You put the money in with the agreement that when you die, what's left in the trust goes to the charity but in the meantime you get a certain amount of income each year from that trust all of those trust strategies are on the chopping block right now and you can tell by how they're structured and the dollar amounts that we're talking about this isn't a common strategy but it's it's a popular
0: strategy if you are looking to be subject to estate taxes so, yeah, I mean, I'm just even now peeking at my phone at just what the latest things are coming down. Yep. So I'm sure you're all like us waiting with bated breath following the tax. Right. Right. And if you are, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um,
1: but if you're if you're not, it's something to think about. So we've had ways for the very, very wealthy to put money in a bucket, still get income off of it, be charitable and not have to pay tax on it. And yeah. if you start to break that down, you can see why those that are trying, i don't know, you know, are they looking for fairness or are they looking for equity, you know, choose your adjective, um, are trying to tax that. It, it has been taken advantage of with, um, wild abandon might be overstating it, but it's, it's a really common strategy for the, the, the one percenters, if you will.
0: And for my clientele, I mean, we have all income levels from poverty to some people that exceed the $22 million net worth sure. in their estate. But I have quite a few clients that are kind of in that middle ground where they mm-hmm. did not have to do estate and gift planning because their net worth as a couple might be over $6 million, but under the 22 yeah. or just like they know their state's going to grow and so they're nervous yeah. about what is going to happen to well, them
1: and we've been in far more restrictive regimes when it comes yeah. to estate planning when i first started doing this around the turn of the century like i mentioned we had an estate tax exemption of six hundred and seventy five thousand dollars even adjusted right. for um Inflation. What would we would be talking? 1.5 million. So imagine that that was our estate cutoff. Right now, it was now. talked
0: about that it, it was, could be. It could so, be. Yeah, that didn't fly. Um, I think not. that's not really going to happen.
1: Well, but but do the thought experiment. If that were now, how crazy that would be. You know what that would
0: do? That would make you and I some of the busiest people in the country. Trying to plan I feel around like that. It right yeah. now. Yeah. Actually, with these, right. stuff. But, but yeah, right. there's plenty of time. But I would not procrastinate. Right. And then for everyone, um, I just want to do a little bit about how I divide trusts for my clientele. Yeah. And so, Dee um, Dee mentioned a trust, which we call many things: a grandparent trust, a parent trust, a springing trust, a residuary trust, and that's in your will. So when I do an estate plan, I just include it in the will. Mm-hmm and um that allows usually children to inherit and by children in our culture that means up to usually 25 years of age they're not minors but you may not want them to inherit a whole chunk of money the statistics are they probably will spend through it in three years or less
1: now i've heard a rule of thumb of maybe
0: a third a third
1: a third you know 20 25 and 30 or or spread out like that of the inheritance is that what you see these
0: days sometimes our The way we write ours is you have money for a reasonably priced car, education, a wedding, relocating for your job, things like that that are pretty modest, like a reasonably priced car. And then having kids that are in their 20s, I think that's about, you know, when you can rent a car and you're a little more thoughtful, that that's the ballpark age somewhere I've seen it as young as 18, as old as no end, really, because maybe they have Medicaid issues or something, that um, they can make those choices well, that, for that's themselves. That's a whole separate topic, yeah. so we'll come to that later. Yeah, minute. and that's not a Medicaid trust, but one where you're thinking about, and mm-hmm. that's included in the will, and it doesn't happen until you die, but you can do a lot of planning. Then there's the revocable living trust that Dee Dee talked about, and then there are the irrevocable trusts right. where um, – you can't get that money back there are some technical rules around that but essentially you're partying with your control over the trust and that's usually for estate and gift planning or maybe to become eligible for something like medicaid right yeah so becoming
1: planning around medicaid is its own specialty just know that there's a five-year look back yes and it's pretty tough basically medicaid is designed to support the medically indigent now Look in the mirror, if you if you think this applies to you, look in the mirror and say to yourself, is this person indigent? Most people are not willing to say yes. So it's a tough corner of but the world to plan around. It's not the impossible. number
0: one cause of bankruptcy is my, what I've heard is Medical bills, medical and, bills, yes. Long-term care, not necessarily. But because I of the see it is. with my parents already affecting the long-term care. I've seen people impoverished, and there is kind of a share program where you're allowed to keep maybe $120,000. Family and, home and the car. Yeah, and and your basics, but also a little bit of cash as well. If you go through yes. the Medicaid and, and
1: then there's a, a program on how much income the person in care can have and how much the exactly. community spouse can have. Oh yeah.
0: Can you tell I went through th- with my aunt and uncle? Yep, and I don't know if you know this, but I used to work with Medicaid and Social Security benefits with people in poverty when I was at legal services in oh, New York. That had to be harrowing. Yeah, I saw some pretty rough stuff, but I also saw wealthy people impoverished. But yes, for a Medicaid trust, that's a whole different type That be of another trust. podcast
1: we do is oh, what for I'm sure. suggesting.
0: But yeah, that's fair. In fact, I always have a consultant when I do a Medicaid trust because I don't right. wanna take on the liability. Yep,
1: yep, I and go to the specialist as well. Yeah, I pay them
0: myself because I don't wanna stick my neck out that way. And then, um, there, but anyway, those are the trusts that we talked about. So before we go on to our next phase, I really quickly wanted to do, every time I do a joke of the day, a lawyer joke, and I want to give a couple shout-outs. I used to record these sessions with Chad Coleman of Hero Smith, and he had a studio, and he relocated, but he's still running HeroSmith, which he can help with all sorts of things like social media, websites, podcasts, all that good stuff. He's still doing it. But since he relocated, we are now in the home of Chris and Steve Seeley, and they're recording this podcast. They're going to work on it. They shoot videos. They do a phenomenal the, their job. Their company
1: is called Denver Film and Digital. Perfect.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. And so they're, um, I just want to give a compliment to them for helping me record my podcast so I don't have to invest in the equipment to do it and help me get those up and running. Yes. So um, Chad's the one who said, don't do a lawyer joke. And then I heard him bragging about that I do a lawyer joke. So so I'm going to do... We need a lawyer joke. Come on. Yeah. I mean, they're so insulting to lawyers that I almost feel embarrassed saying them well we could do a dumb blonde joke if you'd rather <laughs> yeah we're both two blonds two blondes sitting here yeah i'm familiar with those two <laughs> so stick so, to the lawyer yeah, jokes yeah which one's more insulting i think the blonde jokes are probably more insulting they are because yeah no they're rough i accountants don't fare much better so for what it's worth <laughs> so um one of the jokes that is pretty common, and I'm sure you've heard a million times, is um, there's a swimming pool full of alligators and sharks, and um, the owner of this mansion that has a swimming pool dares everyone to go in, and no one will do it. And then suddenly this lawyer's like, hold my drink, and he dives <laughs> right in and comes out unscathed. Guess why? <laughs> they were scared scared of the lawyer for some reason. <laughs> Professional courtesy. Oh dear. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So that's, yeah, that's a pretty common one. <laughs> I'm always surprised that people don't know them. I guess I just get to hear them you all do. the time. You do. You do. <laughs> so um, that's our Wait, Do you need a joke da- da- Do you need a dad joke? Sure.
1: Knock knock. Who's there? Control freak. Wait, now you say control freak who? Control freak. Oh,
0: <laughs> I love it. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway <Thank laughs> that's a good one yeah that's cool good so um that's our lawyer joke of the day and now we're going to have a question of the day and i kind of like to have two questions of the day because dd Dee Dee can handle it so um one of my questions of the day is just as an accountant and a financial planner and all these hats you wear working with people day in and day out, like what is something you want people to know that they don't know about your professions and what you Uh, offer?
1: What people don't realize is there's many, many, many ways to get help financially. There's, um, read it yourself, you know, the doctors call it Dr. Google, you know, we call it, CPA Google, I don't know, we don't really call it that. If you're a self-starter, that's a great way to go. That's not actually bad, and a lot of folks are well-served that way. Um, There are salesmen and then there are advisors and so I think it's super critical for folks to start understanding the difference between the people who are salespeople and the folks who are fiduciary. So we've used the word fiduciary in the past but those are the folks who are obligated by law to put your interest ahead of their own. Um, It's a higher standard and in most cases you're better served. Not always, but most cases, that's what we want to do. And I wanna help people understand that they have choices and there's a lot of choices out there.
0: Yeah, that's great. And just like, don't be afraid to pick up the phone and make that call. There's no charge for just asking the first question. And for heaven's sake, interview several, get a sense.
1: You know, when I deal with folks, I joke that you know talking about your financial life is you're right up there with talking about a sex life. I have no interest in your sex life, believe me. <laughs> but I understand that talking about your financial life is really personal. People come with uh, it's emotionally laden. It's it's very loaded for some folks. There's shame. There's what sadness. All sorts of things come with it, um, and we get that and we take the planning process at the pace that our clients need to work at. And not everybody is
0: set up to do that. Well, sometimes I didn't want to call a financial planner because I felt like I didn't have enough savings, especially after right. I got divorced. We were savers. We didn't have debt. And we had credit cards that we paid off every single month. And all of a sudden, I kind of lost a lot of what I owned. Oh, yeah. And I needed to make use of it for my Ew. kids and a variety of reasons. And... um I was embarrassed of course yeah like I said there's so much shame around money there
1: are there not only are there different kinds of advisors there's different ways that advice can be shared with you we offer a very inclusive package of helping our folks because we're doing financial planning investment management and tax preparation all rolled together there's a lot of value for folks with a certain level of complexity to have that all built in but some folks you might have been re- well benefited by, by working with somebody who could work hourly and maybe take an hour or two, answer the immediate questions, let you cook along for a while till your life gets complex. And, and the beauty is those people are out there as well. It's, it's just a matter of finding the folks. I get calls from folks all the time who don't need the level of service that we
0: have. I will set them up with a good planner who can meet their needs where they're at. I collect names like that too, because the matchmaking piece is really important to me. So I'll try to find the person that works with them. It's not very hard to find someone who can work with people five hundred thousand and up of a um, investment egg, but I'm yeah. always looking for the people that are willing to work with someone where it's less, because yes. they're harder to find. They are harder to
1: find, but the people above the five hundred thousand don't. They're not all the same.
0: Right. And so That's a good
1: the point. the beauty is once you have that nest egg of five hundred thousand or more, you get to be pickier. You get to demand a bit more. You sure. get to expect a bit more. Well, and you so, have more planning to do as today and illustrates. And it's more complex. Yeah. 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 You're starting to step into the
0: tax change world for sure. And then the other question of the day is my usual one, which goes into a different topic that we didn't address. Now it may be a future podcast, I'm sure it will. But it's kind of a blind side to my visitor. They don't know, but just weigh in like anybody else would do. And um, that's about my number one issue as a lawyer doing divorces right now. And that is that somebody wants to keep the house because we're in Denver area. Real estate's really expensive. These kids are invested in their school. Yeah. And the parents are invested in, in their community. And that house is worth a lot. Yep. And they can sell it and they can pay a lot of different things. But where are they going to go? There's nowhere else that they can afford. It's a dilemma. Yeah. And then the wife, but it's sometimes the husband. um, It's generally the lower earner that's
1: trying to buy out the higher earner, and you end up with somebody who is house poor and financially crippled because they wanted to make a good decision for the kids. It's brutal question and there's not an easy answer i I mean my my comments imply
0: that it's really hard i really think that you need to talk to financial planner real estate broker go look at some alternatives and above all a mortgage broker they control the divorce more than the judge because the judge can say okay wife here's the house you have six months to refinance or okay husband um, you can um, try to buy her out, yeah. but good luck because you have a lot of equity in that house, right. and maybe you're buying her out of multiple assets. And
1: and ha- if you can find a financial advisor, we're, you know, there's certified divorce planners who can take that scenario and say, all right, lower income spouse, you wanna buy the house, what does your life look like? Do you ever get to a point of financial freedom? And a lot of them, don't. You might be one of those that does, but it's really valuable to be able to put that on paper and kind of see where it goes.
0: Um, Well, and candidly, when I got divorced, I was told, hold on to that house no matter what. And it was the worst advice. And so I've helped rescue many people from making a bad choice. Listen, if you can keep the house and buy out the other person and you're looking at all these contingencies like your debt to asset ratio and the very volatile market where um houses right now are going up 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 it's leveling a little but um just be mindful that if you cannot refinance the house and buy the other person out Then it really doesn't matter if a judge gives you the house because you won't be able to handle it and that house will be sold. And I think the judges know it, so they're more inclined now than ever to have people being made to sell the house. Of course, to sell. But I love your idea of having everyone work in conjunction because I hadn't really thought about that. Right. peace. Yeah. But you really do because the mortgage broker might know, "Oh, you need 6 months of maintenance. That's alimony." Okay. And then you I love Oh, I just love your idea of sitting down with people and saying, "Here's you 5 years from now." Yeah. Cuz they do call me, yeah. "We couldn't refi.
1: I feel yeah. miserable." Yeah. No, I've worked with quite a few folks in the middle of divorce and said, "What does life look like with this situation, this situation?" A lot I mean, that comes down to dividing up assets in a divorce. And a dollar's not necessarily a dollar. I mean, no. everything that's part of that marriage has different costs associated with it, tax effects, et cetera. So again, that's probably another podcast entirely, but it's a
0: big deal. Well, and I hope to talk to someone in those industries on a podcast to address it, but I'm so glad I asked you that question because yeah. that's the perfect question to to the client what does life look like yeah I'm here to tell you I've never had someone come back I can afford my house I can afford my mortgage I'm investing money I'm saving yeah. I'm working I'm miserable never and the kids aren't miserable yeah. even though they have to maybe it's yucky like go to a new school yeah. and start over and leave their home and they'll, they'll tell you I don't want to but, but they're going to be miserable if they six months from then have to leave anyway or they stay and that custodial parent
1: is struggling so hard to make those payments that life is miserable yeah house poor that's true too so we talk about decisions that are spreadsheet choices and others that are affairs of the heart and that one intersects both so it has to pass the spreadsheet choice first can it make economic sense then you can allow your heart
0: to help dictate the choice that you're choosing yeah, to make. I'm gonna try that too yeah. because I really do talk to them about, um, it's so sad to see someone come back. And then around 2008 years ago, it was a different problem where it was just houses going into foreclosure and people trying to hold on to them with these loan modification programs that didn't often work. Yeah. And so it's a very similar issue. It has not changed a lot over time. And oh my gosh, a divorce is hard enough and then to compound it with having to move, I get it Mm -hmm. and I'm sad, but you really have to make some tough choices and as I said, kids seem to do better with a good financial plan and a parent who can afford to pay their bills than in a house that no one can afford. Isn't it better to model good financial behavior for your children? Yes because that's why they're leaving the marriage to begin with is they want to model good parenting and a, and love, a good couple, healthy dynamics. Right. But then they want to model just financial insanity because it doesn't work. They can't get the refi. And so that yeah, oh wow, you did a great job for someone who's not a mortgage broker. Well even. I deal with this stuff. Yeah. So you do you have it a lot? I have this is my number one issue three years running. Um housing is always gonna be a problem
1: in a divorce. It just is because it's invariably the largest asset and most marriages have in um you know, imbalanced income. Somebody earns more than the other one. That's mm-hmm. always gonna be the case. Now, have you run into a gray divorce where somebody does a reverse mortgage to, to get things settled? I have. And even in the context
0: I mentioned, sometimes they talk about a reverse mortgage. And reverse mortgages, people have mixed opinions about them. So there's a lot of talk, and that's a whole different topic. They
1: used to be scary, but I will just
0: put it out there that they're an amazing tool used properly. For sure, I've had people present where that can be a rescuer in those situations. But again, it's really hard to get sometimes. And um, yeah... Unfortunately, family court doesn't fix your family issues. It just divides you and sends you on your way. Well, that's what they're supposed to do. They mm-hmm. they're the cleaver,
1: and you're on yeah. your own
0: after that, which is unfortunate. I wish there was yeah. Well, more because we settle so many of our cases, we can come up with something creative and yeah. try to figure it out. And oh. people seem to be okay. I really don't have the people who sell their house coming back to me in misery, oddly enough funny that but the ones who can't refi are in a pickle oh my goodness they always come back if they can't do that they're so upset and um you know i try to talk sense into it but that's been my common issue it's not always a problem many years we had other issues that were more common in 2014 it was women paying maintenance to men and um i think in 2015 2016 it was people who got married and had a house that went up 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 in value divorced a year later that person was trolling for a homeowner to marry and divorce <gasps> Oh, that's just creepy horrible oh horrible my gosh. oh yeah i mean people can be a little scary out there so um i'm gonna wrap it up that's our time it always goes so fast when i'm talking to Dee, and and so i just enjoy talking to you Dee. and you're so smart and i'm kind of a <laughs> nerd myself, so I appreciate that you have the facts. We're a good match, you and I bet. We're very similar that way. Some people, I hate to tell Dee Dee, but some people even think we're the same person. Oh, you don't have to say that. (laughs) Um, She's a lot of years younger than me, so I'll take that all day long. I don't think so. I think we're the same age. Anyway, (laughs) what? I'm 59. I'm 58. Oh, I thought you were 52. Okay. oh I she love looks you 52. oh you're sucking up. She looks 52 I <laughs> love that 50. okay now you're my favorite nice job uh, I love that so anyway we're going to close out so why don't you give your closing contact okay. information yeah um, again Dee Dee Jones CPA CFP
1: I have my website at innovativefinancial.com you can reach us there and make an appointment if you're interested in seeing our YouTube channel it's Money Mastery with
0: Dee Dee love to see you there for sure i recommend it and also giving her a call i'm beth anderson it's anderson with an e for excellent and i am anderson law pc we have a great team and my website is bethlin and um you can also email me and get all that information. It's just stock full of information on my website. And believe it or not, you can call my cell anytime, 303-808-4794. That's my personal f- cell phone number. I've been giving it out for years. You can call and, and me. And she answers it. I yeah. call. Yep. You can text me. For now, it hasn't been a problem yet. And then our office line is 720 But um, I'd love to hear from you and give you a free consult, get you in the right direction. We consider ourselves your, we call ourselves your dissolution angels and and crossroads crew. And that's because families take different forms, but there's still families. You're not just breaking up. I really think that these changes in life can help you to be breaking upward.